Experiment Nation, I have a special gift for you. If you're in the Airbnb space or if you're thinking of getting into the Airbnb space, you're an operator with multiple units, your first unit, your hundredth unit, just about to get into Airbnb, you are going to want to get this blueprint that I put together for you. Now, I want to give context of how this was put together because sometimes people assemble these uh, ideas and top 10 lists, top five, top this, and it doesn't have any true valued vetted content. What I've done is I've surrounded myself by the best top short-term rental Airbnb operators in the world. I co-authored a best-selling book with them called Hospitable Host. I've had them on my platform and interviewed them to get the questions that you guys want to learn the most from into the episode to show the real estate experiment, as you know. And I've also paid tens and thousands of dollars to be sitting in the room to get these notable insights that we implement ourselves as short-term rental operators. I'm a short-term rental specialist. I'm licensed to do it in their respective markets. You know, we build ours in Georgia. We have a management company ourselves. We're Airbnb super hosts. So we not only talk to talk, but we walk to walk, but we still consistently surround ourselves with the best in the space to get us further ahead. And this is what we've put together an Airbnb millionaire blueprint where you don't just hear it from me. You hear it and it's an aggregate list. It's 21 pillars from short-term rental operators worldwide who've implemented this and it's worked and this is the exact same way we've been able to get results and get the same results from implementing these insights that i've pulled from multiple faces right some people have tons of arbitrage units like tj tajani some like bill faith have just a few some like michael shogun has boutique hotels they've scaled and whether you have one unit 10 units or 100 unit or about to get into your first unit you're going to want to have this blueprint that you can utilize you universally wherever you are in the world want to get this i put together we took a lot of time to put this together this year after all that we've been implementing in our lab for you to have a guide that you can leverage right that you can use and and, and implement we've also given and tagged everybody that we've featured in and giving them credit so you know where the source is coming from and you can check out their instagram you can see that there are vetted individuals that we not only work with and trust but learn from because sometimes you get a lot of different information and i want to make sure i give that credit where you can find out that person and we've also if they've been on our show we've also linked the episode within this free blueprint it's the airbnb millionaire blueprint want to make sure you go to experiment realestate.com once you get there you'll see the pop-up that says i have something for you just scroll down enter your name enter your email and we'll get it right sent to you don't want to sleep on this we've been putting these together for quite some time and i know that it will serve you regardless of where you are in your journey to have an airbnb millionaire blueprint that has been collectively vetted and has been sourced from operators who are operating at a high scale experimentation you're welcome make sure to go to experimentrealestate.com and get your airbnb millionaire blueprint so that you can also scale to the level of experiment that these practitioners like ourselves have done just for you experimentation we'll see you on the other side Who's this? Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're a real estate investor. Oh, you're trying to learn from those who did it. Well, come into the lab then. Put your white coat on, gloves on, notepad, 
and let's build, y'all. This is such a good chat, man. I always, you know, we always have a good chat. That's why we always hit it off, man. But I want to, I want to talk. I want to highlight you today, man, because, you know, obviously you you built something that's uh, really remarkable in our in our industry as the founder of Minoan, and obviously you got a respectable background with you know being a jet dot com you had some e-commerce as well um very interesting journey man so um just the level set man because you guys if you guys are chopping it up already you heard you, we had some good convo around business and so obviously we can't get enough of that that's one thing but talk to me about you know well first of all welcome to the lab officially this is the yeah. lab i'm happy Experiment, to be- <laughs> fail learn repeat I'm, i got a mirror view so i'm like yeah oh, i see it oh. <laughs> um i love that that's our model here basically have practitioners who come into the lab like yourselves and offer solutions to uh to to a specific group and and i discovered you because you know being in short-term rentals you guys uh we were re- recently in what was it Miami? uh not miami was it miami yeah miami, miami? Well, that was a miami event well. that's right that was dope. That was a good thing. And you sponsored the whole event. And obviously you, we got a chance to even get more educated on what no one does. But, you know, my question always is, you know, if I pull up on you in the airport, because I'm always traveling, I say, hey, man, what do you do for a living? Yeah. You know, what do you usually say? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, depending on what, how much I want to get into it. But usually I say, yeah, right. Usually I say that I run a, an e-commerce business within the short-term rental market. And then if someone's like, oh, like I know short-term rentals, then I basically say that we have a platform uh, to systematize all the ordering, procurement, everything that has to do with like the stuff that needs to go into your property that makes it so you're not, your guests aren't sitting in an empty box. Managing all that, uh, you know, that's what we build software around to make uh, much easier. Um and then there's a longer version of that, which is basically like a shorter, I guess shorter, but longer is like, we basically want to shift the power dynamics between brands and suppliers and mm-hmm. hospitality professionals. Um, right now, that customer is mainly like the supplier, the brand is a supplier and the host or the hotel is a customer. You know, you make money off customers, you profit off of your customers. Our belief is that those brands should actually view hosts as marketing partners. Um, Because if you're a brand, if you're like a mattress brand and you're trying to get your products in front of people, you're trying to get people to love your products and buy your products. I mean, that's, that's what your business is. There's no better partner than a short-term rental host who has tons of people coming into their property using products in the way they're designed to be used in these incredibly rich environments. There's no better marketable moment than the moments that are happening with guests in those spaces. You know, we call hosts basically four-walled influencers. Um, (laughs) But right now, a lot of brands don't view hosts that way. And a lot of hosts don't view themselves that way. And so what Minoan, what we've really been doing is evangelizing this idea with suppliers and brands and saying like, these, these are the places you want to be. I promise you, you know, this is where you want to have your mattress. This is where you want to have your appliances, your electronics, your art, whatever you make, you want to be in these spaces. 
And Minoan is a platform to just connect the hosts on one side to the brands on the other so they can buy stuff at really good discounts. And we use a lot of software just to like make that easy. You know, no more like tracking stuff in Google Sheets or ordering from 20 different portals and checking, hey, where's, hey, what about that? When's this going to ship or when's that? You know, like that can be solved with good software. And so, um, okay, so that was a bad me. answer, but no, I, that was a good, no, that was a good answer. Three times over. <laughs> no, that's good. We like options, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, help me understand the case study because you said something important. You said most hosts don't see themselves that way as like the four wall influencer. If I don't see it that way, help me see it that way as why, what am I not seeing? What do you see on the other side of the data of the, on the consumer, the habits, the volume, the, what is the opportunity cost here? So that, because sometimes it's just a matter of just not being aware. What is it? Yeah, absolutely. One thing I would say is that if you're a host, you're intimately familiar with the experience economy um for sure uh you might not and again not all some hosts do understand this so i want to be clear but a lot don't uh you might not think of yourself as playing in the attention economy yeah um and the attention economy is just as large if not larger and that's the economy that google and facebook and these massive companies cash in on every day so uh these brands, like let's say Casper, who we work with, like Casper spends a lot of money on Facebook and Google. Why? To get their product in front of people, you know, to pop up on a on a two second ad on Instagram or to be served up on Google on a on a product listing ad. Um, that's worth money to them. They pay a lot. I mean, billions of dollars. I mean, look, just look at Google and Facebook's revenue. You know, Facebook's had a bad year. They're still printing. I think tens of billions a quarter, maybe maybe not 10 billion a quarter, but it's like 8 billion or something in net profit. So the, like that's after they pay for every their fancy office, all their employees. So it's a very lucrative industry to be in. And so if if brands are telling us that a click is worth like $7, which in some categories on Google, the CPC cost per click is $7. And the average digital impression lasts less than two seconds. 98% of digital impressions, I believe, last less than two seconds. So if that's worth $7, like, well, then what's it worth if I'm getting someone to come in and sleep on this thing for three or four nights, eight hours each night? It's got to be worth a hell of a lot more than $7, right? And so that in and of itself is how it is just a nugget to to be a little bit provocative and let you think about your rental a little bit differently. I mean, think about it's not just yeah, it it's the moments that happen between people and products in your properties are incredibly valuable and they are hard to come by for these brands. Um And then on the data side, I mean, we have properties that are making like hundreds of dollars a month. I mean, in some months, like you can make, if you sell like a mattress or a couple mattresses, some of our mattresses are extraordinarily profitable for hosts. Like the costing will be 300 bucks, but they can retail them for like 1200 and we do a 50, 50 profit share. So like 
you know, if you make 900 bucks on a mat, if the margin is 900 bucks on a mattress, that's 450 to us and 450 to you. So you sell yeah. one mattress or if you sell two mattresses in a month, you know, that's, that's pretty strong. Um, but yeah, there, we have, we have lots of hosts who bought mattresses and then have sold enough where the mattresses have already paid for themselves or they've purchased, yeah. uh, nice appliances for the kitchen and they sold a few always pans and a few fellow tea kettles. And it's like, Oh shoot. Now, now this thing paid for itself. Now it's actually yeah. a profitable asset in my, so, so Mark, now. when's the best time to, to be involved with Minoan? Is it, if I'm buying a complete empty property and, or is it yes, Ruben, when you buy and, also, as you continue to host, your home also becomes a marketplace where your customers come inside your home. What, what's the what's the case study for those who are listening? So we're just very clear here on, on like what what's what's there to offer. Yeah, the the best the best is when you are furnishing from scratch because we've saved host millions of dollars just this year, millions of dollars on furnishing. Um, through the discounts we've negotiated with brands and suppliers. And we've saved them a ton of time and headaches in managing the logistics and making sure everything shows up at the same time. If things are broken, we help coordinate and take care of like, all right, well, let's get the return taken care of, make sure they send out a new one. Um, but we have hosts that sign up after they've already furnished a rental and they just use us to order uh, replacements, you know, something broke or the linens and the soaps and shampoos, stuff like that. Um, the best is when you're furnishing from scratch because that's when we, you can you can benefit on both sides. You can save money upfront and you can earn the kickbacks of making your property shoppable. But even if you've already furnished your rental, it's still worth signing up. It's free. I mean, there's yeah. no downside. Like everyone should at least have an account. Um, and then you can work on making your property shoppable. And then if you need to replace things, uh, or you want to, you know, change, maybe you want a new amenity provider, or maybe you need to redo your outdoor furniture because it got beat up in the winter or, or in the summer. Um, there's always stuff that comes up that, you know, yeah. that needs to be replaced and purchased. And uh, we make that a lot easier. Yeah. Do you think that um, just by looking at the data, do you feel that, um, and again, we talked about this, looking at the business, analyzing it. Do you guys feel like you get more uh, of volume on the front end where someone is trying to purchase a property versus the almost the almost the I guess you would call it would you call it a B two C relationship that yeah. that hosts have with with customers like how much more do you see more of like a spike on like wow we're getting tons of people who are furnishing their homes with us and then seeing a little bit more of like, and then some maybe, you know, 20, 30%, 50% are actually creating this mini marketplace within their homes. Like what's the, what's the data there. And then based on that, do you see that, do you see that you expect that to change or stay more or less of the same? Yeah. Right now the, the, majority of the volume is through the b2b procurement um but it's because mm -hmm. we're growing so quickly we're onboarding hundreds of hosts every single week and so there's lots of net new furnishing projects and people coming on and you know they're spending like 30 forty thousand dollars each time so that that's a lot i mean you're not going to have a guest 
who comes into a property and spends <laughs> that much yeah. money. But over time, we expect the consumer side of that business to grow uh, pretty significantly. We actually right now have a huge backlog of consumer shoppable experiences we need to build because um, we were just overwhelmed. Like we got so many hosts who wanted to make their property shoppable and uh, it's not fully automated yet. So we're like, shoot, we got to like queue these up and and get them ready. Mm. You know, Next year, it will be more automated. So we'll be able to do that. But that's the side of the business. Um, you know, that, that side of the business is very interesting. And we do a lot of volume. I mean, we do like, we have a Slack channel. Uh, every time a guest orders from one of our properties, the order pops up in that Slack channel and it's going nuts, especially this time of the year. Actually, it's been really interesting, like you seeing people buy, cause I'm like, oh, people are definitely getting gifts, you know? They're getting ready for the holiday season. And so you see a lot more robe purchases. Like we would sell robes, like uh, lots of, pro I mean, not a lot of properties, mostly hotels have robes, but some of our properties have robes. Um, like some of the ones down in like Texas, I'm thinking of who have sold, who've done a good job selling robes. But but now in like uh, the season, I'm like, man, we're selling like a lot of robes, <laughs> like more than we do normally. Um and so, and like uh, soap and shampoo sets and scent diffusers, like reed mm. diffusers. And um, so, yeah, so right now it's interesting because you can tell people are just buying for, for loved cool. ones. And it's like, they're in a space, they're looking around, they're like, this is nice. I really like this. And then there's a little thing that says, hey, see something you like, scan here to shop the space. So they scan it. And it's just like a perfect, it's a very thoughtful gift. It, it's a nice story. You can go to someone and say, hey, I was staying at this property. They had these. It was awesome. So I got one for you. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I had a similar experience and I'm just wondering the reason I'm asking these questions are like, I'm you and I are both jaded, right? Like we talk about, you're just talking about like, you know, traveling, you know, where we're staying. When I stay, you know, at hotels versus Airbnbs, I'm literally like taking notes of like what they had, the linens, et cetera, just because I'm a geek in the space. And I just want, I was wondering like what that experience looks like. Um, and, and the next question I was going to ask is for someone who's not like a geek like myself, who's, who's, you know, slips on a pillow, likes it, you know, what's that, what's that journey? Because I think it'll, it'll be very interesting. And I think maybe in an enlightenment for our investors who are listening, who don't realize that maybe that this is an actual path of, of the way consumers, the consumers are actually interacting in your property. What are you seeing is like a product or products? You know, that's the million dollar question that you see is constantly with all the data that you have is like a constant. Wow. I can't believe people are actually staying in properties and then taking the initiative. I think having someone take the initiative to sit, not only like something, but then either comment on it in the reviews, that's one thing, then taking their hard earned cash and then buying that to me, that that's huge. And so I would love to hear what you might be seeing across the board as some maybe top items are these little items is there a price point like between 20 to 50 dollars does it range in the thousands like very curious as to like what data you're seeing on the other side of the door yeah a big seller is betting which we expected i think it's a very mm -hmm. sensory like um you know it's a very sensory rich experience like sleeping yeah. on bedding with the pillow with the mattress with the sheets and duvets and so that's a category that always does uh, really well. Um, 
you know, it's not that different than general retail. So you, we see a lot of unit movement in the like sub hundred dollars. So if someone can scoop up like a candle or soap and shampoos or hand soap or um, man, like wall decor, like the stuff that's under a hundred bucks, like in like people usually don't have a, there's not a high sort of point, a lot of friction to overcome to get someone to pull the trigger on stuff like that. As you get into like the over a thousand dollar items like mattresses, like, I mean, we've had people, we've gotten some crazy orders. We had someone, we work with a property that's uh, like very luxury. Like they use frette towels, which are quite expensive, but they're very lush and comfortable. Frette towels. Frette, yeah. And one of their guests bought $700 worth of frette towels. <laughs> they must have really liked they the frette stay. towels. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, they're not they're not cheap. And yeah, that, you know, like um, they're not cheap. Um, and so people buy all sorts of stuff. The the conversion on the higher considered stuff like mattresses or big sofas is lower absolutely yeah. than the stuff on soaps and shampoos because that's less impulsive um but what you do find is like people will buy we had someone buy a, a 400 mirror this morning um like one of our hosts you know we work with uh urban outfitters and anthropology and someone had bought a mattress or sorry had bought a uh a mirror and then like a, like a month ago this place or two months ago this place was furnished and like this morning, <laughs> uh, someone came in and bought that mirror. Um, that was not cheap. So it we're still learning. I mean, we're in the early days of, we call this native retail. I think it's very mm -hmm. similar to the early days of e-commerce. Like in the early days of e-commerce, we look at what e-commerce is today. It's hard to remember what it was like in 2001. Like, um, like there weren't reviews, you know? Like, so imagine shopping without reviews. Like that was an innovation brought to, to e-commerce to reduce the friction of purchasing. The other big innovation to reduce the friction in purchasing, free returns. Why? Because mm -hmm. someone's like, oh, I've never touched it. I haven't felt it. If I buy this thing, what if I don't like it? And then it gets sh it's shipped to my house and I don't like it and I wasted all that money. That was a huge friction point. It still is a huge friction point. Right. And so what did companies start doing? Free returns. Now, if you don't like it, send it back because that's enough to, to get people over the psychological hurdle of actually placing the order in the first place. And so in the world of native retail, we're still navigating. It's working like people are buying stuff, but it's not optimized yet. And so we need to figure out like, well, what is our what is our equivalency of reviews? Reviews is really interesting because the more um, the more you have in common with the reviewer the more the more you trust the review so you just reading a review of a product from any random person is like okay that's some validation but it's a certain level you reading the review of someone who has stayed in this property before you 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 trust the review a little bit more because it's mm. like oh this person is like me like they came yeah. and stayed in this property. They have my similar taste. You know, you uh, reading a review of someone who stayed in that property before you and is from Boston. 
oh, now I really trust that. Like mm-hmm. we're just, there's so much interesting, there's so many interesting nuggets of like human psychology um, that we still like, you know, we have not tapped into it at all. We are in like on day zero on the consumer marketplace side, literally day zero. Like all we've done is say, hey, you can do it. The optimizations of uh, what, how should this be organized? What should go in the number one spot? How do we merchandise this? How do we, how do we tell people how to like think about these products? You know, like the way you talk about, let me give you another example, like merchandising. The way you talk about a mattress in e-commerce is different than the way you might talk about a mattress in native retail. Because in mm-hmm. e-commerce, it's an ab- it, the product is an abstraction. So you're looking at a picture of a mattress, but the, the real mattress is actually sitting in a warehouse somewhere. And so the way you describe it um, might be different than the way you talk about a mattress when it's concrete, when it's in the guest room. Mm. you know um instead of saying this mattress is comfortable this mattress is uh great for side sleepers and back sleepers that's what they <laughs> say in e-commerce in native retail you might say hey you should just go and lie down on this thing roll over to the to the corner notice how there's really strong edge support well that makes sure you don't roll off the bed mm. in the middle of the night. okay lie on your back roll over lie on your side Notice how no matter how you're sleeping on it, it really cradles your body. Well, that's because it has this unique technology, memory foam, that's really good to do. You can make these just like very immersive experiences and um, in ways, honestly, that really enhance the overall experience. Like, and you can get guests to really notice all the thousand little tiny touch points, all the little details that you put into the property, which go unnoticed, 99% 99% of the time, but if you bring them to life in this unique like story and narrative, it can be really, really, really special. And yeah, we have done, we haven't done like, we've barely done anything there and it's already working. And so when we actually start focusing on that and improving that and um, enhancing it, you know, so this is still a long way, but but to, to your earlier question of like, well, what side is bigger? Like that's the side that we think has a ton, a ton of potential. And by the way, the more that things convert in your property, the better pricing you should get. I mean, the math might work out where if you're like, hey man, I've sold like four mattresses in the last two years. The math is that actually you should just give me the mattress for free because you're going to give me one and then you're going to sell four. (laughs) So, you know. and What is uh, the structure today actually now that we're on that topic like you know if i'm thinking of this what's what's the this gives me like very similar to like an affiliate mark marketing kind of approach right well you get you you marketed it you get you deserve a portion of it what does that portion actually look like for for me as a host uh right now we're not monetizing like the marketing side of it yet so it's not like casper is paying for um, it's not like brands are paying for the impression. So when someone comes in and stays and uses it, uh, mm. yet, mm. because why shouldn't they? I mean, realistically, if they're paying for impressions on billboards or on these <laughs> ads, 
Why wouldn't they pay you to have someone come and use their product? The reason why we haven't focused on that yet is because that requires a big suite of technology to do well. Like CMOs these days have like data scientists on staff. It's not enough to say, yep, nope, it was, it was there. It was there. Someone slept on it that like pay us. You have to really make sure you're, you're collecting the right data and telling the right story and uh, touching on the right points. And that's like, there's a whole events-based infrastructure that you have to build on the software side to do that well. And that's why we're building what we're building for hosts. Cause we're like, man, hosts aren't going to like take like, that's too much. It's too much work for them, but they're, they, sh they should get credit for it. But what brands will want to see is going to be too much for them to build. So we should just build it and then just give it to the hosts, you know, and then let that fly. will really start, uh, start going. But right now the relationship for a host is like, listen, you're going to save a bunch of money on what you buy upfront. We can get you like a hybrid queen mattress for $279, like a hybrid, not these like 100% memory foam crappy ones, like a good mattress, right? So you can save a bunch of money. I'm sticking with the mattress example because I've been talking about mm -hmm. it for a while, but so you can save a bunch of money on it upfront. Then if you sell it at all, we do a 50-50 profit share. And in some cases, that 50-50 profit share is like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, that's the value prop. Now, the value prop in the future could be, hey, if you bring this brand into your property, they will pay you X amount of dollars per guest for creating the engagement, you know, or or something like that. Like we could allow hosts to really think about uh, the marketing side and doing it that way. But you know, doing it in like a thoughtful, we're so far away from that. I mean, I shouldn't even be talking about this stuff because that's like, so interesting. So many other priorities, but yeah. Um, step one, step two, step three. Yeah, exactly. Doing the right things at the wrong, like if we were to do that now, that would be an example of doing the right thing at the wrong time. That is the right thing. That is something that we will build 100%. And it will unlock massive potential for hosts and all of our partners. But there are, yeah, there are tons of things that need to be built before that, that layer on that, that ladder up to make that really hit. When we build that to make it really hit and really land and create value, you have to make sure that you're doing a lot of other stuff um, beforehand. Yeah. You talked about simplicity. What do you think it means for, for you right now? And who, where is that simplicity being focused on front end, middle, back office? Like what, where, where is the simplicity being focused the, the, on the most? Yeah, the simplicity right now is just on the front end, like make it as easy as possible for hosts to to find what they need to buy it in one click and to not worry about what's going on after that. To let us take care of all the admin logistics details. You know, that's that's the first step of simplicity. And then we'll move back towards the middle in terms of operations and stuff and being more efficient. And then, you know, back end like software to automate um a lot of support and stuff like that. But, but right now it's just about focusing on, you know, when in doubt, just focus on your users and what they care about and, and building the best possible version of that, whether your users are hosts or your users are guests or your users are listeners like that, that approach will always uh benefit <laughs> anyone in any business um yeah you can figure a lot of other stuff out after that it's funny i just recently heard you you know uh the gentleman who uh i think this was the gentleman who uh sold kayak 
Oh, yeah. Uh, you listen to my first millions? No, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, oh, I do listen to that though. I don't yeah. listen to it like every episode, but I've listened to a bunch, probably like a yeah. dozen of them. That's what it was. He was actually from Boston. He was saying, yeah. Mark Laurie did one of those actually. Yeah, dude. Yeah. He's, uh, I actually met Sam Part because uh, uh, I was a, a you know podcast stuff. Yeah, podcast movement together. He's a, he's a beast, um, but um, he said, uh, "Focus on the team, focus on the customer, and focus on profit." Yeah, it's like in that order, and that's interesting because it goes back to what you were saying. He was talking about like your internal team, like yeah. what you were talking about before, dude. One hundred percent. I mean, that that's is crazy actually, to me when you think about actually, it, right? It focusing on the team is more important than your customers because isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is crazy, but it makes sense once you are an operator and you're actually building a business. It's like, yeah, of course, because how much can you do by yourself? Not much. You people can accomplish things on their own, but they can't accomplish big, big, big things. And so you need a team to do this stuff. And the people that you put around you are the business, right? And and if you get the right people and they are focused on making the customers happy, that will make the customers happy. But if you try and make the customers happy and you don't have the right people, you can, you can have a lot of false. They're start. not going to be happy. There's going to no. be broken systems, broken processes, right? Yeah. The They're not going to be happy. The team is everything. You know, I'm a Michigan guy. You know, Bo Schembechler has that quote. Where he just says the team, the team, the team, like the team is everything. Um, absolutely everything that's been the biggest thing i learned in my prior failures and successes is like man that actually the team's the most important part <laughs> yeah. you can take an easy idea and have a tough team and it totally fall apart you can take a incredibly difficult idea um and if you have the right team you can make anything happen look at the businesses that have been built that have been like um, you know, there's lots of businesses that have been built that are like, wow, that it was hard. <laughs> and, uh, when you look at the people behind it and you see their pedigree and their mindset, it's like, oh yeah, that that's what you need to do something like that. Yeah. It reminds me of that, of that quote, uh, you know, we hire people to tell us what to do. We don't hire people and tell them what to do. Yeah. Who I think does. Steve that's Jobs. Steve Jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I crazy, mean, man. You know, it's funny because I'm in this phase right now, just kind of growing a team as always. And um, you know, it's it's kind of very uh in sync with where the mindset is now. What do you think is the one thing that was once true um that is no longer true? Like as a business owner, that you know, one one thing that you thought was once true but is no longer true. Is there anything that comes to mind? Man, that's a good, that's a really good question. Like what's changed the most in recent memory? The thing is when you simplify businesses, there are these just universal truths that like, um, like this, when you think about it in terms of like team customers profit, it's like, that will always be true. Um, things that were, that were true that are no longer true i mean right now um certainly 
if you're going to be, uh, if you're going to take outside, if you're going to build a software business and take outside investment, like you need to have a true understanding of the unit economics of your business and the long-term profitability. There are lots mm. of companies that raised like um, in the last two years who money was flowing very freely and they didn't really think about that. And um, they're trying to figure it out after the fact. Um, but I think there, I, I think there are more universal truths in business than there are things that are like trended that become true and then are no longer true. Oh, I guess one obvious one would be like, um, being able to hire people like all over the world. I think that like, historically, it was probably true that running a decentralized team was not a great decision uh, because the communication was challenging. <clears throat> um, there were lots of barriers, but now like software has made it so frictionless to collaborate no matter where you are. It's like, man, if you can get a really good digital marketer and they're in like Buenos Aires or whatever, like you can make that work. Actually, it could work out really, really, really well for you. And so mm, I think cool. that's, I think that's something that um, is no longer true, but that's a delicate one too, because I do think that it's good to be, to get in person with people and be in an office or uh, collaborate in in-person events. That's also really, really valuable. Um, are you guys, how are you guys structured today? Are you? We're remote. Yeah. Remote. But, do you yeah do you also and speaking of investments do you guys take are you raising capital or you have partners like you have equity partners or like how does Minoan get get funded yeah we raised we raised a seed round um mm -hmm. uh late last year led by excel partners who is a great they've invested in some great great companies and and the partner that i work with there is <clears throat> man smart guy Really there. How does that how does that work for, for us who are not uh in like the VC world when you say seed round and for the again for the audience, I think that'll be very good. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not in I'm I was not in this world until we closed the seed round. So I'm yeah, what does that mean at a high level? Like that seed round is usually that first uh round of funding, like a seed of a tree, basically. So it's like it's money to like get get a business off the ground and test a hypothesis. So um is this is this, this is um sorry i was gonna ask you this do you define very similar to like a like a like a is it like angel investors at this point yeah seed round is usually angel and we have angel investors as well um and so the seed round is led by excel so they set the terms like okay here's how much we'll give you here's how much we think you're worth basically and then uh then you go out and get money from other people and say hey this is a term sheet from Excel. This is what they've priced us at. Um, do you want in on these terms? Like if you want in, you know, why are the oh, money? Really? So like, why do they set the terms? Like, oh, hold on. Why do you need, why do you need Excel? Again, not to, I'm not putting you on blast here. I'm just thinking. Dude, no, I'm, I'm, is I, it, <laughs> I, didn't, I just learned all this stuff in the last yeah. years. So, I'm so why do you need, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Totally. Cause I, I, you hear a lot of it, but like, I don't know what that looks like. My company is not like, you know, yeah. it's, it's bootstrapped. It's basically a right? lean, lean business. So um, why do I need a company like Excel 
it sounds like Excel's knock opening up. Is it like a partner that makes you look good and and or like what are like help me understand the struggle again? Maybe there's things you can't disclose, so stop me at any point. But if they're they coming in as like a partner, just so I understand, like, hey, this is my buddy Mark. Uh, we've helped a lot of guys like Mark in the past. We got money, we got connections, and we're like his main partner, and we're opening up the door for you guys to also become our partners with me, with me, Excel and Mark. Like, is that the conversation or is it different? Did I miss it? No, it's different. Okay. You do, as the founder, you do the work of rounding up the money. So Excel, I mean, they'll make introductions for sure. Like they introduced us to some folks who were like, oh, this would actually be a really good fit for us that ended up being investors. But, um, you know, Excel is a... Um, these like top VC funds... They uh -huh. go out to the way their business works is they go out to limited partners and raise money. So they'll go to like pension funds or ultra high net worth individuals and say, listen, we're, we're Excel. Uh, we've been investing in startups since the eighties. Here's our track record. You know, <laughs> like here are the returns we've had on each fund and they're good. They're high. The returns on venture are, have been pretty high it's like a very strong asset class really Which, don't, yeah oh, don't yeah. they lose a lot of money though like or, is, or am i missing is this not venture i thought I for every vc there's like for every 10 i get one like is that not yeah. like the thing no it is but like you know on average the one is like the like a billion on, on average yeah. i'm and again now like we can check that i'm pretty sure the the returns on venture capital as an asset class are are high are are pretty damn high relative to other asset classes, but there's high risk on average. But Nepal is also on average flat. So it's like there are funds that will return insane amounts of capital. Mm -hmm. And then there are funds that raise a bunch of money and lose it all. Um, but when you look at the overall market, the returns are strong and, and particularly returns from the top funds like the Andreessen Horowitz, the Sequoia, the Excels, the NEA, the benchmarks of the world, they year over year are like, we know how to pick winners. We know how to identify a good company in the early stages. And we ride it all the way until, you know, we'll invest when it's a seed stage company and we'll put a little bit of money in when it's worth this much. And we keep putting money in. And then when they IPO or they're worth whatever, we will 100x our investment. So we will- Is that- is sorry, sorry, Mark. Is that always the end goal for if you're bringing in VC? Is the expectation that you will IPO? Uh, not necessarily. Well, the expectation is that you will have a some sort of liquidity event, certainly within like ten years. You know, these these oh, funds have long time horizon, but there needs to be a mechanism for for them. You know, that that's it's like syndicators. It's like yeah, syndicators. It's the deal you do when you work with a VC. It's like, I understand what you're trying to do. You got a big pot of money, you're making bets and you need to collect that and give it back to your investors and you skim like the money you made. For you to be able to take the money back, there has to be a liquidity event. So that liquidity event could be an acquisition um, or an IPO realistically. Because if you're private and you're generating gobs and gobs of cash, you could do like a profit share where they claw it back, but but the, the reality is they want a liquidity event. Yeah, they, they want a big exit. Take that event, money yeah. back, and an IPO is, you know, the the real deal you're doing when you 
sign a term sheet with a, a venture capitalist is um, I'm signing up to build a big business. I, I am not signing up for a lifestyle business. Mm-hmm. I am signing up for a business that will be really, really, really big. Um, I'm okay with that. There are downsides to that. Certainly it's like billions or body bags. Like that's kind of like <laughs> the mentality. Wait, no, but, I love uh, that. Hold on. But, billions uh, or body bags. Yeah, you gotta that's a Mark Laurie. That's a Mark Laurie original. I can't take credit for that. But but that's like what, you know, that's the deal. We all, everyone at Minoan, when we have our meetings, we're all looking at each other. We know what we signed up for. We signed up to be a big, big, awesome company. Um, and that's what you sign up for when you take money from a venture capitalist because they need to believe that they can 100x their money. So if they put 5 million in, they need to believe that you have a chance of giving them 500 million back. Why? Because they got to make up for all the other $5 million checks that are going down to zero. <laughs> now there's a hundred percent. Okay. So law, basically, so, so like a small percentage of your investments return, make enough money so that it washes out everything else. And so that's what, um, now there are other ways to get cash into your business. Venture capital is not necessarily, I talk to a lot of founders um, who sometimes I'm like, yeah, you should raise venture capital. If, that, if you're vision, I'm like, yeah, that's a big vision. You're going to need, you're going to need some help to bring that to life. You should. Sometimes I talk to founders and it's like, um, yeah, maybe you should raise some money, but I don't think you want like a venture capitalist, you know, like you might want to go to angels. You might want to go to, um, uh, I don't know, private equity. You might want to go yeah, to P. a bank and take out like, <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, line of credit or whatever. Yeah, because uh, it's not always the right answer. But when you have a big, I mean, this is the thing. I believe that those moments, that those native retail sleeping on the bed, you know, taking the class on the Peloton bike, uh, cooking with the pots and pans, using the hairdryer when you're coming out of the shower and your hair is actually wet. Those moments, which by the way, don't, you can't get that in e-commerce and you can't get that in a brick and mortar store. You can only get those real moments in spaces like short-term rentals. And that's why we think they're so freaking valuable yeah. and why um, brands should be lucky and happy to be in these spaces. And that's why we, we negotiate really steep discounts with them. That like notion that's a big idea. I mean, that basically what we believe is that native retail has the potential to be the next frontier. Just like e-commerce was a big frontier in the early 2000s and catalog was a big frontier before that. And before, like even within brick and mortar stores, there have been new frontiers of retail. The original form of retail was you would go to a counter, tell them, oh, I, want, I need like a gardening hose. Someone at the counter says, okay, they go to the back, they grab it and they bring it to you. Um, like people forget that there's been innovations in this forever. And then early on, like, actually this was like around the early Walmart days, I believe. Then they were like, well, wait a minute. Why don't we put the shelves in the, in the front? Why don't we let the customers pick what they want and they just bring it to us and check out. And mm. that's how stores work now, but that's not how it was before. And so you know, when we look at the long history 
of retail and how it's evolved and we try and look at the future, that's where like, man, I think this is it. I think this is the best way to do it. This is the best way for a consumer to figure out what they want. There's no salesperson over your shoulder. There's no just like flipping through screen. There's just them in a product, in a space that's all theirs, you know, for the weekend at least, where they can just see how they like it. And if they like it, they can buy it really easily. And if they don't like it, that's fine. We're not in their face. It's not, we're not NASCARing the space. We don't have price tags hanging from everything. It's very tasteful. It's very light. And so that that's an idea that we felt like was big enough. We were like, I think we need a venture partner because it's going to be hard to try and do all this without a little bit of cash uh, to invest in this to start. Yeah, this is, I love I love this industry because and, and I appreciate you putting a bow on it because you, you actually brought us full circle. And one of the things I want to make sure that doesn't let slip through the cracks is is as I'm listening to this and I'm like, hey, shut up and take my money. Where do I sign up? And maybe there isn't. And, and obviously, that's not the thing because you can sign up for free. But yeah. I, I just use that as the expression. But tactically, how does that look like where I'm like, OK understand the opportunity native marketing 100 this makes sense to me you know i think we touched on this in the beginning of the episode um you know when we were talking and we were saying to the likes of it's probably better that you furnish it because then you know what's that next thing when you're furnishing your property from the ground up am i manually adding every single item that's in my property and doing it that way or if maybe I'm already furnished and I'm getting some items from Minoan, then I'm adding it and scanning it. What does that actually look like? Is it a QR code? How do I get the inventory into my database, my mini store, just for context so that when we yeah. step away from this, we actually understand what that even looks like visually and notionally. The people who are buying everything from us up front and saving all the money on furnishing, I mean, it just, it just pops right in, you know, <laughs> like they don't have to do anything. Uh, we know what they ordered. We know what's in the property. Uh, we do need them to just tell us, Hey, where did you put, you know, what was in the living room? What's in the kitchen? Mm. What's in the bedroom and stuff. We have these like nice powder coated note card stands that we send to hosts that will just sit at one spot in the property with a little QR code on them that say found something you like. Um, yeah. Wait, what it, is that exactly? Sorry. It's a, it's a, it's a stand and what does it do? Yeah. It's a little powder coated note card stand. So it looks really like elegant. I mean, this is in, we also work with hotels. Some hotels are like a thousand bucks oh. a night and this, they like these, they put these in the room. So it's up to their standard. So it's, it's nice. And uh, it has a little card that, that sits in it. It'll have, if you have a brand for your property, we put a little logo for you on there. So it's all branded. Yeah. It'll just say, found something you like, scan this code to shop the space. If they scan that on their phone, oh. it takes them to, Basically, you can think of it as like a custom Shopify store for your property. So the images of your kitchen, your bathroom, your bedroom, your property are in this experience, along with all the products that you purchased when you were furnishing. Um, that's and so that's that's what it looks like. Now, if you didn't order stuff through us currently, we're not um, building shoppable experiences with some exceptions because we need you to go back and like tell us what you bought. And that process is manual and can be a little bit painful. In the future, like next year, it'll be like, hey, just drop in the URLs. We'll use that to like, you know, build the shoppable experience. But we still do it um, with some exceptions. But right now what we're doing is, hey, you got to order at least a handful of items th through us so we know what's in there and then we can mm -hmm. pipe that through. 
in the future, it'll be much easier, more automated, more data. Um, I mean, in the future, we we want to connect both sides. Like if we can say, if we're getting reviews on specific products and listings, we can pipe that upstream to the procurement side and say, guests freaking love this. This shows up, you know, you know, uh, 20% of the guests who bought this cookware set, it shows up, or sorry, 20% of the hosts who buy this cookware set, it shows up in their reviews with a really positive response or you, know, mm. you can kind of connect, you can use data to make some interesting connections uh, just to help people furnish more intelligently. Like, where is it worth spending money? Uh, is it worth spending money on kitchenware or is it not? Is it worth spending money on a nice mattress? Is it not? Is it worth spending money on a game room and bringing, you know, bringing that stuff in or is it not? That's all stuff that you can start to dig into when you have all this purchasing data and you can connect it to other data points in the space. Is that something that you're going to offer guests as the best, almost like the top items you should have in your kitchen versus your room? Or is that something that is not in, in scope or not currently accurate? Yeah, for hosts, we are working on like curations and ways where they can see the best sorts of products um, in each space. But what's really important to us is that it's not like our curation. It's not like Minoan thinks you should have this. It's like, oh. here's what guests think. Or here's what your hosts, here's what your fellow hosts think. You know, these are the products that they're buying. Or like, um, here's Ruben's kitchen. You know, if you really like the stuff that he used to furnish his kitchen, here are the 50 items. You can buy that and recreate it yourself. That That's sort of how we Yeah. Think. Is that location dependent or property type driven? Uh, probably, well, for certain items, it's probably location dependent. Like, for example, Pollywood furniture, which is really good out this stuff like if you have a house in the poke in the mountains like it's going to get snowed on in the winter it's going to get you know intense sunlight in the summer that'll beat up a lot of materials polywood stuff holds on forever and so um so that might be a recommendation we make to to our properties that are in true four season climates um and there's also a lot i mean there's lots of stuff that's important to consider here if you do for example if you only do short-term stays, your cookware is probably less important than someone who's doing midterm stays. Because for a midterm stay, if someone's there for like a month, they're going to cook. One, I mean, I mean, I would hope so, unless they're just have a ton of money and they're eating out every night, but like they're going to cook, they're going to use it. That yeah. means like you don't have a wine opener. I mean, already, even in short-term rentals, you don't have a wine opener, you'll get... Sometimes you just get torched by guests and reviews and it's brutal. But if you're, a, if you have a midterm stay and you're missing like kitchen supplies that people are 100% expecting, like that's a problem. So it's dependent on a lot. Yeah. How big is the property? You know, how many guests are you? So um, there's, it's like multivariable. And so what we're trying to do is just collect all that data to at least yeah. have the right data. Then you can start to build like, the intelligence to be like okay these types of properties buy this and this is how this yeah yeah, yeah. that's what i was going at which again i i'm not expecting that to be a day one item it's just a thought of like when i think of what minoan recommends i'm not thinking minoan i'm thinking minoan's data yeah right? yeah you know what i mean like they're based on the consumers exactly. and home owners uh aggregated right and like that to me is I mean, that that's huge right there. 
Um, yeah, that, to us, like we are not the experts. You are the experts. And so all exactly. we want to do is show you a mirror, basically. And so using the product to to do that, because um, we could pick and we'll have lists. There will be Minoan lists based on what our designers like and stuff. But the bigger thing is. Yeah, I was thinking about the people. Yeah, the, I mean, aggregating data, I think, is where where it's at. Right. Like if I I want to, I want the numbers, I want to know, I don't have the time to collect them. I see the value in all, you know, your kind of platform where you're aggregating data and you, you, your, your data gets smarter as more users come on the platform. Yeah. And so, and people have totally divergent strategies there. Some hosts are like, yeah, I just want to pick the stuff that like seems to work well for most hosts. And some hosts are like, I want to see what most hosts are buying and I want to stay steer clear of that, you know, like, um, like there are trends, you know, there's like one sofa, it might be one sofa that a lot of people have, and then everybody has it. And then some hosts Mm -hmm. are like, well, now I want to have my, my own look and feel. There's some soap and shampoo brands that initially a few people have, and then all of a sudden it's in every single rental. And then some hosts are like, I don't want those anymore. Now it's not uniquely ours. Everyone has it. So now I need to pick a new amenity partner. And so the data is helpful in two ways. Um, if you want to be convergent and kind of like, I want just proven winners and stuff that works, yeah. you can just pick that stuff. If you want to be divergent and you're like, okay, here's what everyone else is buying. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to take this yeah. approach. It can also be helpful. Absolutely. Well, listen, after listening to this episode, we want to go with Minoan. That's a fact. Right? You want to be with a partner that, you know, is understands the future and understand um, even as a serial uh, investor, right? Like for the long term, right? What it looks like furnishing new properties, et cetera. So we'll definitely be in touch, but I want to let you give um, the chance to experiment nation to get a chance to tap in to not only the product that you have to offer, but then I also believe just like you've very well stated here that, um, and, and exemplified that, you know, who you are as a person is a reflection of, you know, how well your company is doing or how your company is a reflection or yourself, I should say. So I appreciate you kind of, kind of like showing your layers and, and kind of getting, re- getting into some really deep conversations about just business in general, and then understand how you function and how you're bringing that to Minoa. And so I appreciate you bringing that full circle, but where can the people tune in, man, and find out more about the product, uh, the platform, I should say, uh, that you, you've kind of presented to the marketplace, especially for us short-term rental operators, geeks, and long-term investors. For sure. You can come to our website, minoanexperience.com. There's a little join us button in the top right where you can apply. It's free. So there's no reason not to at least um, sign up and join, even if you're already furnished. I mean, you'll never, you're, you never know when you're going to need to buy something. And uh, we got tons, nice discounts on 200 brands. Um, and people can reach out to me directly. I, the thing I love about this industry is they're, we're all entrepreneurs. Um, every single person. And so I love talking to hosts. I love them telling me what they like, what they don't like. I love them telling me ideas. And so if people are interested in getting in touch, they can email me. It's just Mark, M-A-R-C at Minoanexperience.com. I love talking to hosts, love talking to customers. So my, uh, my inbox is always open. That's very generous of you sharing your email. Yeah. Only Uh, for, only for your only for you, for your listeners. <laughs> yeah, VIP. 
Mark, how do you say uh, for the people? I know we I always call you Mark, but uh, for your full your your last name, how do you pronounce your last name? Ostovsky. Ostovsky. Yeah. Love that. So just so you guys know, there's many marks out there, but there's only one running the <laughs> shop, but no one. You already know what it is, guys. Don't snooze. And if you're going to snooze, make sure you're snoozing on a product that comes from Manoa and you guys check out what you guys got going on there. It's a, it's a beautiful brand we're going to be tapping into as we're making some acquisitions this year for sure. And to close that loop and, and to continue to elevate all together. So, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. And just like that, Experiment Nation, we are out. Experiment Nation, podcasting has changed the way we operate as real estate investors ourselves, and they can do the same for you. Podcasting has been the source of the masterclasses that we get thanks to the world-class real estate investors and practitioners and specialists that come into the lab from all realms, from short-term rentals to mid-term rentals to real estate syndications to even software as a service, owners, founders, entrepreneurs, have helped enrich our experiments by giving us the education, helping us build a network, and lastly, and most importantly, a brand association to open up multiple doors for our respective businesses. If you understand the power that podcasting can have, and you know that you need one for your brand, please, you can rely on our team. InvestedTalent.com is my team and the team that helps this podcast, The Real Estate Experiment, become the fruition each and every single week to educate my community, build relationships on the air, and continue to build our brand. If you know that you need to do the same for your brand and you haven't pulled the trigger yet, maybe because you don't know how, our company, InvestedTalent.com, does the end-to-end -end from the time that you record to the time that it is published to even repurposing content on multiple social media platforms. That's what my team can do for you. Simply go to InvestedTalent.com and book a discovery call to see how my team can help you launch your podcast.